0: Want to say again, just a welcome to all of you, those of you watching at Olmstead Falls, uh, hope you have a happy Easter. Those of you watching in living rooms, kitchens, around uh, all over Northeast Ohio, and maybe in various states and other countries, wherever you may be, we're really glad to have you here today. There's a phrase that the church throughout history and around the world has used that often Christians would greet each other and they'll say, Christ is risen, and people respond and say, he is that's right. So one of my colleagues is telling me about her four-year-old grandson and how uh, they get up on Easter morning and the parents say, to the, you know, they say, Christ is risen. And the four-year-old says, he's in prison indeed. <laughs> he's in prison indeed. And so mom and dad sort of smile chuckle. It's amazing with kids what we hear, right? Like what goes in? They're going, I guess he's in prison. They're like, actually, you know, son, he's not incarcerated. Like he sort of was for three days, but... But it's actually Christ is, is risen. Oh, oh, he's not in prison? Uh, <laughs> Christ is risen. And when we really understand that, it makes all the difference in the world. Like it can fill us with hope. In fact, there are two words that the Bible uses that says when we know this to be true, when we really are convinced and it becomes personal for us that Jesus came back from death, the Bible says that we can live with Great expectation. Would you say those two, two words with me aloud? Ready? Great expectation. That when we really believe this and we know it to be true, that we can live with great expectation. It puts whatever we're going through today, it puts it in perspective. In fact, I'd like us to turn, if you have your Bible, uh, to First Peter. It's the first letter that Peter wrote. If you don't have a paper Bible, the Bible app on your smartphone is free. My favorite app. Uh, and, and you can turn there. And also the message notes for today to follow along, some of the key points will be on your bulletin, digital bulletin at gracecma.org. When Peter writes his letter, here's this guy, is one of the first witnesses to this event that we call Easter today. Peter is writing this letter to people for whom life is not going very well, like they're suffering. For them specifically, they're suffering for their faith, not to mention that they face some of the same trials we do, that, you know, you get a bad diagnosis or you're you have someone you really love who dies, or you have someone who walks out on you or whatever. And for them, on top of that, they, they were facing persecution. They, they were being tortured for their faith. And Peter says, in the midst of that, he goes, you can live with great expectation. i might be going, huh? I want to see why he says that, okay? For us today, why does Peter say that? So here in First Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 3. Here's what he writes. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with with what? Great expectation. There it is. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, we're going to talk more about that. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. You and I can live with great expectation. Why? Let's read the couple of lines you see on the screen there. Are you ready? Let's say it aloud. Ready? Ready? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with, with what? Great, that's right, great expectation. I heard you online as well. Great expectation, that's right. So let's just dig into these verses for a little bit. Peter says that this coming back to life of Jesus is sort of a game-changing, history-shaping event. It changes your past, that you can know that you're completely forgiven of anything you're embarrassed about or your regrets, your guilt. It fills your life today with purpose. You can know, if Jesus really rose from the dead, you can know that your life is more than just sort of being here for a few years and you try to make it imp- That You can know that your life is purpose. And it transforms any kind of fears you have about tomorrow that you can know for sure that you have a home forever in heaven. Why? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says, because of that, you can be truly glad. Here's a question, though what if it didn't really happen? You go, what? There's a lot of folks, and we might be among them, and we go, like, did a guy actually die? Was it buried for a couple days in a tomb that was above ground, It would roll a stone away, and, and then he actually, like, started breathing again? Like, I know everyone here is, like, raising their, their belief, like, but do we, do we actually believe that? You might say, I, I think I do, but I, you might be like a guy I read and he, 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 here's what he wrote. He says, I see so many people around the church who have such a strong faith that I feel like I don't fit in. I, I would like to be confident. I wish I didn't have doubts. But I've got more questions than answers. Now I'm beginning to doubt whether I'm a Christian at all. Can you relate to any of this? What should I do? Could you get back to me right away? How would Jesus respond to a guy like that, do you think? I think we know. Jesus had his first followers who saw him with their own eyes. They could touch him. And it says they doubted. And what does Jesus do? He says, sort of check the evidence. He says, look, look at my hands. Look at the nail prints in my hands. Look, look at my feet. He doesn't get angry with them. He he says, I I want you to check the evidence. He would tell us the same thing today. Address the doubts and the questions that you have. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a guy, analytic philosopher, professor, um, author of tons of books. His name is William Craig Lane. And he writes... um, he writes about this topic, uh, and I want to just mention a few of the pieces of evidence that William Lane Craig says here. He says, first of all, he says, there's the discovery of Jesus' empty tomb, a discovery that's recorded by no less than six independent sources, some of those uh, sources among the earliest documents that we have in the New Testament. And can I just say, some of you, Michael, how do we even know that we can trust this book? Like, hasn't it changed a lot over the, over the centuries? Do you know that we have more, it's going to be on the screen here, we have more biblical manuscripts than we have manuscripts for any other ancient work. And we have earlier manuscripts, like from just a, within a generation after these books were written that, that, uh, that are that close, more than any other work of antiquity. There's great reason to trust this book, that it, it hasn't changed over the centuries. And when an event is recorded, like the resurrection, by independent sources, it sort of dials up historians' confidence that event really occurred. It wasn't just one person saying it. No, it's numerous people. Even Jesus' enemies, you think of that. Jesus' enemies, what do they do? When they find an empty tomb, they're like, we gotta come up with the... So they come up with an alibi, and they go, hey, let's, if, if anybody asks about the empty tomb, let's just say that the disciples came and stole the body away, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense because remember what the governor, Pontius Pilate, has said. He told them, according to Matthew chapter 27, he says, I want you to go He tells them clearly, and secure the tomb. Secure the tomb. Before, like in the middle of between the death and because he was like, I don't want anything to happen here. They secure it. How how well did that work out? (laughs) Not very well, right? You have an empty tomb. Second piece of evidence. You have the appearance of Jesus alive after his death. It's not just the fact there are over 500 eyewitnesses, but that he appeared to them on numerous occasions. If you have one group of people and they go, we were out like in this field and we looked up and we saw like it was in the sky. And and you're like, maybe, but maybe you had like a mass hallucination or something, or you were all smoking something or whatever. and, And you think you saw something you really didn't. These people would, this was not just one time. This was on numerous, over half a dozen occasions to small groups, individuals, large groups, over 500 at one time, and, and that Jesus appeared to these different ones, and it was recorded by different authors. Lots of eyewitnesses. Third piece of evidence, the disciples' firm belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Didn't start like that. When, when Jesus dies, his followers are devastated, they're demoralized, and they're, they're fearing for their lives, and they certainly had no concept of a Messiah, a promised deliverer that was in Jewish, their Jewish faith all throughout the Old Testament, pointing forward that we're gonna have a Messiah that's gonna come and deliver us. They didn't have no concept that he was gonna be conquered and executed. And certainly not rise again. That, that, was, that was not in their paradigm at all. So, what happened that they went from hiding in an upper room, afraid for their lives, to all of a sudden being convinced that Jesus is alive? to the extent that they were willing to stare threats in the face, even knowing that history or tradition tells us that they all went to their death for their faith in Christ. And not one of them recanted, saying, all right, time out, I didn't really have it. Not one of them. So if Jesus did not really rise from the dead, how do we explain that? How do we explain the explosive growth of the number of Jesus followers when there are lots of other people who claim to be like deliverers and messiahs? Why is Jesus the one that's followed today? You might go, John, I still have questions. In your your notes, I put a link to a couple of videos, just seven minutes long each, but one of them says what's the evidence for the resurrection? The other one is what are the four main arguments against the resurrection and how might we respond to those? So I encourage you, if you're having questions or someone you care about has questions, to to take a look at those and to to check that out. But let's go back to our scripture. Look again what Peter says here. In verse 3, Peter says that because God raised Jesus from the dead, he says, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And he has that little line of verse six, so be truly glad. Wow. If what Peter says is true, and I really believe it is, this is amazing stuff. He goes, listen, he says, You have a priceless inheritance kept in heaven beyond the reach of change and decay. In other words, it's never gonna like break down, you know, second law of thermodynamics, and it's because it gets somehow worse. He goes, it's gonna be amazing forever. That's what he says. That if you put your trust in Jesus, he says to people who are suffering, you can live with great expectation. Why? Because you know that you have a life still to come. Next uh, week, we're going to begin a new series called Life After Death. And we're going to look at what what comes after this life. Like, what is heaven like? Are we just going to like sit around in togas, all day playing the harp, singing in a choir like totally boring. No offense to those of you who sing in choirs or like to wear togas for that matter. Uh, but, uh, but what is heaven really going to be like? And is there a hell? And I've heard that Jesus maybe could come again at any time. Is that true? And if so, like how can I be prepared? We're going we're gonna to look at that. We're going to close this four, new four-week series called Life After Death. We're going to close it with an Ask Anything Sunday where we'll just welcome questions and we'll take those live and, and, um, and, and we welcome that. But what, let's just talk for a moment about life after death. When Peter says that we have a priceless inheritance, what is he talking about? A few years ago, I, I saw an illustration by a guy named Francis Chan. I'm sort of a visual learner. Some of you are too. So I wanna just, uh, I wanna do this uh, illustration here. And, and uh, I want you to imagine that this rope right here, that this rope represents your, your, your life, your existence. And this rope goes out the door and it heads west and it gets onto 80 and it just keeps on going all the way out to the edge of California, jumps in the Pacific Ocean, gets to the Hawaii. You gotta stop for an overnight there so it doesn't lay over there. Goes over to Japan and just keeps on going around the way. This, this rope represents your existence, which goes on forever. That's what the Bible teaches, that everybody lives forever somewhere. Then you have this little part right here. You go, what's the red part right there? This part right here is your life on planet Earth. You got just a few years here, and all the rest of your years are going to be somewhere else in eternity. You know what happens to us? Tell me if you think this is true. We get consumed with this part right here, Right? like, okay, this is when I was born, I get my education and I'm making as much money as I can right here just getting ready so that in this part right here, I can play some golf and hang out and eat well and I can have a great retirement and, and it's gonna be amazing right there. And if we're not careful, what do we forget about? It's gonna go on forever. That someday, every one of us is gonna come to the end of this red right here. We're gonna stand before God. And what we've decided about Jesus in this place right here, we don't get another chance to do this, This there's one chance right here. How we decide about Jesus, and did he really rise from the dead, and what does he deserve from me if he did, my decision about that determines where I'm gonna spend the rest of that line. Here's the other thing, we don't know when it's gonna come right here. The last five weeks we've done three funerals for guys here at Grace, who died in their sleep, totally unexpected. Went to bed thinking they were gonna get up the next morning like any other morning. And they never woke up. Families just crushed. And they're living there today, they're beginning that, right? It's gonna happen for all of us. Here's the question, are you living for the line or are you living for the dot? Where's your focus? Are you living for the line or are you living for the dot? I wanna say a word to those of you who you're going through pain right now because that's what kind of people Peter is writing to. Maybe you've got a chronic illness and you're like, I'm in pain like all the time. Or you got a diagnosis or someone bought, walked out on you. Or you've got a child who's struggling or a grandchild or, or whatever, it can be anything. Going through a bankruptcy and you go, I don't really like what I'm going through right here. You know what Peter would tell you? He'd say, you can live here with great expectation. Why? Because this is not all there is. He goes, you have a priceless what? Inheritance that's kept in heaven waiting for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. You know what the Bible says about heaven? That this thing right here, that there's no more mourning or sickness or crying or COVID. That's in Revelation chapter 23, or pain, and there's nothing like that. There's going to be no more funerals, no more hospitals, no more crime, no more divorce, no more arthritis, anything that you don't like about this world, it isn't going to be in here, and it's going to go on forever and ever and ever, and it all comes back to the decision that we make right here. I love the spoken, wasn't that spoken word great that those pastors did? Those are all three pastors here at Grace: Pastor Joe, Jelani, and KJ. And, um, and, and the whole point of that, that there's this life and death, and who wins in the end? Life wins in the end because they said death is like the intruder. Death was not a part of God's original creation. That was life, and death came in because of sin. And when Jesus goes to the cross, and then three days later, what does he do? He wins the battle once for all over death. And he defeats you know, the, the power of sin in my life so that I can be fully forgiven, that I can know him, that I can know that I've got everlasting life. I love how they talked about that, that whatever I'm going through right now, they said that, that uh, I, I love how they, they put it. He said, He said that there's a sequel. He said, in Christ, you have a sequel. You don't have to stay in the way that you are right now. Friends, death is not the end for us. This right here is not the end for us. When we come to the end here and we die, it's not the end for us because it wasn't the end for Jesus. He conquered death and we're going to live forever somewhere. Key is, how do we know for sure that the priceless inheritance is for you? That's what he says, this priceless inheritance for you. How do I know for sure I can be included in that? He tells us here. If you look back here at verse 5, 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 5, would you say this with me aloud? It starts with through your faith. You ready? Let's say it together. Ready? Through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. He says, it's through your faith. When I put my faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you really are the Son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect life, that you died for me and that you rose again And Jesus. I put my trust in you. I invite you to come into my life. You know what he does? He makes me completely clean. He gives me a new start, and he guarantees me a home in heaven. That's what Jesus does for all of us. He made the final payment for our sin. So let me ask you this. Has it become personal for you? Is Easter more than a holiday for you? Can you say today, oh, oh man, that, that is like, what Jesus did for me is the center, like that's the, the life-shaping moment for my life. That's, that's what he came to do for all of us. I realize that you might be here today, or maybe you're sitting in a living room today, or you're at Olmstead Falls today, and you're here because you say, I'm sort of here to make mom happy or dad happy or my girlfriend or my boyfriend happy. That's okay, I'm really glad you're here. I want you to know that, but you know what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew you would be sitting right where you are today, here in person or wherever you are, and he knew that you would be here, and he wanted to get your attention long enough to say this to you, you matter to me. I love you more than you'll ever know, and I gave the, paid the greatest price so that you could become part of my family. I know all about your past, I'm willing to forgive that. I wanna give you my strength and power to live in a way that would honor me and be best for you today. In heaven, I've secured that as well. If you'll trust me, if you'll say yes to me. So the question is, have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I, I do put my faith in you. I want you to be at the center of my life. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in just a a couple of moments here. A prayer that hundreds of people at Grace have prayed, people around the world, really saying, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I'm saying yes to you. And when we do that, there's a wonderful promise in the Bible in John chapter one that says this, to all who believe Jesus and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. You believe and you accept. You don't have to work for it, jump through all kinds of religious hoops. You just say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I'm saying yes to you. I want you to come into my life. Let me clarify something here. When I invite Christ to come into my life, I don't invite him as a guest. I invite him as a leader. I don't say, Jesus, you know, we'll have sort of a Sunday relationship. We'll hang out at church together. He becomes the center of my life. Like I, I, I get to know him. And he knows and loves me, he strengthens me to live according to his plan for my life, to make an impact, to be his hands and feet in the world today to the people around me. So it's not something that should be entered into lightly. If you need time to consider it more, take the time you need. But all I would say is this remember, you never know when you come to this place right here, and this part begins. I want you to be ready, I really do. And it starts by just saying yes to Jesus, calling out to him. So I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer that um, can just express your heart to God to say, Lord, I I want to put my faith in you. So I'll pray first for all of us. Then I'll lead us in a prayer. You're welcome to pray aloud or or silently, whatever you want to do. And and he's listening. For those here and for those of you watching um, in a different place, He's listening and he sees you today. And he loves when we take one step toward him when we do. He he just meets us and forgives us. So let's, let's pray together, okay? I'll pray first and then invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, there are people here today who are ready for a personal relationship with you. They know about you, Lord, they believe in you, they just haven't really gotten to know you. And so I pray that today you would give them the courage right now, to open up their heart and their mind and their life to you. And now I want to invite you to pray with me. You pray something like this. The words are on the screen if you want to follow along there. Dear God, I want to put my trust in you. Thank you for offering me forgiveness, a fresh start in life, and a priceless inheritance in heaven. Thank you for loving me and for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I want to share my life with you and know you as a friend. As much as I know how, I invite you to be the leader of my life from this day forward. Help me to trust you and follow you for all of my days. Thank you for coming to live with me and empowering me to live life your way. In your name I pray, amen.